Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Reports Weekly Cyber Report, sponsored by Fortress Information Security. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Joining us today is my good friend, David Berto, the President and CEO of the Professional Services Council. He is a former Assistant Secretary of Defense for Logistics and Material Readiness, who now oversees an organization with 400 members that advocates for the federal services industry. David, it is an absolute pleasure having you back on the program. It has been too long. It has been, Vago, and it's a delight to be here. Thank you for asking me to join you. Thank you uh, very much. And you you were uh, one of the uh, three amigos uh, with your colleagues uh, at the Aerospace Industries Association, Eric Fanning, uh, National Defense Industrial Organization with Hawk Carlisle, now David Norquist, uh, and you guys. So you've, you've been the, the three amigos uh, working some uh, very uh, important issues during the course of the pandemic. Uh, and we'll be having you on uh, shortly to have uh, a deeper industrial base conversation. But for today, we're going to be having a cyber conversation. Before we get started, our daily podcast is sponsored by Bell. Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage. Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. And General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. Uh, David, uh, the last administration developed the concept of the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Process, or CMMC, uh, to quickly improve the cybersecurity of the defense industrial base. Um, this administration has been developing its own way ahead. Uh, now the Pentagon says that it's going to have its interim strategy uh, next year, not exactly a breakneck uh, pace, uh, you know, as, as the audience knows, you've long been an advocate for greater speed in uh, federal uh, acquisition. Uh, and CMMC 2.0 is going to get war game this summer, and the policy uh, will be, uh, as I said, it'll be out next year. Where are we right now, and where are we going? Because folks had an expectation that this was going to actually move a lot faster than it's moving. Uh, that expectation, of course, uh, it was there, Vago, and it's grounded in the stark reality that the threat is evolving very, very rapidly. Uh, and, and that, in fact, one of the problems with the original CMMC's program is that even though it was highly demanding, one of the big questions was, could it respond to a rapidly evolving threat? At its core, you know, whether it's CMMC 1.0 or 2.0 or the auxiliary programs still underway, the requirement for self-assessments that companies have and report those to DOD uh, through the SPRS uh, process the, the, uh, uh, or the uh, uh, DCMAs, the Defense Contract Management Agency's own assessments through its uh, con- uh, Cybersecurity Assessment Center, the DIBCAC, um, their threats are growing faster than our ability to defend against and respond them. You see them in everyday headlines. So adding more time to the requirements that companies need to comply with, either at the prime level or the subcontractor level, is not in our favor. The good news is the administration is uh, trying to move, move ahead with this. From, from your standpoint, um, is CMMC still fundamentally the right model? to help improve um, um, the security of the defense industrial base? There are three core elements to answering that question, Pago. Number one is, what is the standard or the set of standards that CMMC uh, has, uh, has contractors comply with? And those standards point back, of course, to the NIST, the National Institutes of Standards and Technology, uh, 800-171 standard, which has evolved considerably since it was first issued uh, in the last decade. Uh, and it's continuing to evolve. But the pace by which standards are updated, again, lags behind the pace by which the threat evolves. So the first question is, what are those standards? CMMC 1.0 initially had additional standards 
uh, for compliance above and beyond the NIST standard. It's pretty clear under CMMC 2.0 that we're reverting back to DOD is not going to add additional standards. It's just going to use the standards that are already in place. Standards, by the way, that are available and applicable to the broader American economy, not just the Defense Department or the federal government systems. So those standards, I think, uh, uh, are the best we have. And I certainly would agree with the idea that you have to have consistency in applying those standards across the board, particularly if you're going to go beyond DOD to the whole federal government or start to extend across America. The second question is the frequency of that compliance. And uh, the CMMC uh, 1.0, the original CMMC, had a, a repeat cycle of three years. Your, uh, your certification would be good for three years, and then you'd go through an update. Um, again, if the standards are only evolving in a three-year cycle, if the threat's only evolving in a three-year cycle, three-year cycle is probably good enough. Um, we know the threat's not evolving on a three-year cycle. It's probably more a three-minute cycle. But, uh, but we, I, I have a hard time seeing that the government could update its standards much more often than that. I would like to see it on an annual basis. I'd like to see recertification on an annual basis. The third element is who does the assessment? Who determines whether you're complying or not? You know, today's requirements, uh, particularly through the, uh, the supplier performance risk system reports, uh, are that contractors, assuming that their contract clause is in their contract, uh, or the requirements in their contract, contractors do their own self-assessment against the NIST standards, and they report the results of those self-assessments to DOD, including any mitigating actions or improvement actions that they would need to take. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me, because there's no way that the government is going to be able to keep up with either the magnitude or the pace required for assessments beyond that. Uh, for companies to do their own assessments is critical. For subcontractors to do their own assessments is critical. And so that leads you to the final point, which is what's the process by which those assessments are determined and the results reported? How does, and how does DOD integrate and aggregate those going forward? And, uh, and that part is still remains to be seen. Whether that's part of the rule that we expect, what, 10 months from now, or whether or not that's uh, an internal process that we don't even see as contractors, that remains to be seen as well. That's a lot. That's a long response to that question, but it's pretty complicated. Um, and so are they on the right track from your standpoint? I mean, I know the administration, uh, as every administration, right, I mean, tries to get it right. But every once in a while, you have to take risk to get reward. The last administration under Katie Arrington uh, was uh, taking some risk to at least accelerate the process. And now it's sort of ground down and that has a cost uh, all, all its own. I mean, are, are we on the right track, uh, I guess, is the question overall. And why is this taking so long? Well, di directionally, we're going in the right direction, which is increased security and increased responsibility for that security. Uh, the pace is obviously way too slow. You've, you know, you've already heard me complain about the speed with which the threat is evolving, not only the threat itself, but the number of actors who can exercise that threat uh, and, and penetrate systems across America and around the world uh, continues to grow as well. The, beyond the pace, though, I think there's a question of the dimensions and the magnitude. One of the real problems with the original CMMC, and I don't see that it has been reconciled yet with the, with the new approach, is it tended to focus primarily on technical data packages for major weapon systems. Now, that's pretty vital, right? When China can steal F-35 drawings and end up creating their own F-35 uh, and having it fly just as the president's going in for a visit, uh, which happened just a few years ago, uh, that's bad news. But there is a whole other side to the risk that is completely ignored 
in the, either the current approach or the previous approach. And that's operational data. Uh, and, and you know, when, when DOD is operating, they're supporting their forces, whether it's food or water or fuel or a host of more complicated uh, components and supplies, uh, by contact with the global commercial marketplace, which will, I would submit, never comply with NIST standards. You know, whether it's the fuel broker in East Asia or whether it's the food distributor in the Middle East, um, they're going to look at you if you say, uh, where's your CMMC certification there? You say, go find another fuel broker uh, because I'm not going to do your stuff there. It doesn't take much for DOD operational data in terms of purchasing stuff to support our troops wherever they may be deployed, sailors, soldiers, airmen, Marines, uh, guardians, et cetera. Um, it doesn't take much for that to become operationally sensitive data that should be protected all the way down the chain. CMMC up to now has largely ignored that. What would you put on your uh, to-do list uh, to get this right and to get it done uh, faster? Well, it's useful to say, okay, what do contractors have to comply with today? And, uh, and, and is that good enough, right? And, and there, are there things we could do to improve that while we're waiting for this interim rule? I think it's planned to be an interim rule uh, in March of 2023. Um, I think the answer to that is it depends on what's in your contract. Obviously, the self-assessments under, under uh, SPRS are a critical element of it. Um, DCMA's uh, DIBCAC assessments, which hits maybe the top 50 or 100 companies out of 60 or 80 or 100,000 plus subcontractors that, that double that number at least, um, is a drop in the bucket. Uh, again, protecting mostly tech data packages, which is vital and should be protected, but is not sufficient uh, to save America. So I think that what's going on today is good enough where it is and can sustain us there. Um, prime contractors, almost all the prime contractors I know meet or exceed those standards. In fact, because standards evolve so slowly, in many cases, companies are, are implementing uh, procedures and, and processes and technology that well exceeds the standards and needs to because the threat exceeds the standards, uh, the protections offered by the standards. Um, but extending that down into the smaller companies, into the subcontractors, into the third and fourth tier of subcontractors is woefully behind schedule. I don't know how the interim rule plans to approach that, but at the current state of, of events, um, it, this, is, this is where our, our greatest vulnerabilities are. You know, it's, it's interesting in terms of uh, services providers, right? I mean, there's a tendency of thinking about what the DOD does as what it is that it's buying, but it's also, you know, half of what it spends is, is buying in services, uh, right? I mean, um, you, you mentioned fuel, IT is one of those things, uh, engineering services, you name it, right? I mean, almost everything is a, is, a, is a service. Indeed, military people retire from their military jobs, sign on with a, a commercial uh, contractor, uh, and then um, you know, get get right back up to work with a pension and a little bit of a pay raise, uh, ideally. Um, walk walk us through how we need to take a more holistic view of the services industry and how to maintain and improve cybersecurity across that enterprise. Because we have a tendency of thinking about the platform, you know, that the B twenty one has the security that it needs, as opposed to, as you were saying, the 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 fuel vendor. Uh, could actually constitute an operational risk because they know when you're coming, you're going, how much gas you're buying, uh, and whatever parts uh, and, and support services you might need. Right. So I think the way, the best way to look at services, you start with the data you cited, right? Slightly more than 50% of DOD contract dollars are, are uh, obligated in contracts that provide services. 
but the definition of what's a service has evolved dramatically over the last uh, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, it, it's no longer just you know, facilities maintenance or, uh, or food service or, or even uh, uh, buying and, and delivering fuel. So much of what DOD buys today, uh, they used to buy as a product, now they buy as a service. Look at Space Launch. You, know, you don't need to own the launch vehicle, you don't need to own the capsule, you don't even need to own the spacesuit. Uh, you're, you're just buying those as a service. Uh, look at IT, as you mentioned, right? The, uh, the, the cloud servers are somewhere, they're on the ground somewhere, but you don't need to own them. Uh, you don't need to operate them. You don't need to pay for the cooling and the, and the support. Um, you're just buying access to data and, and analysis of that data. Uh, these are ways in which, and there's a whole host of others, these are ways in which uh, uh, we've evolved from buying products to buying services. But the mentality still thinks of it as who owns this? And, and that mentality needs to change pretty dramatically. The third element, of course, is that even for the major weapon systems, as you and I have discussed many times, Vago, 70% of the life cycle cost is after the system is delivered. That is essentially support, logistics, and sustainment. Those are services. I mean, there are components that you buy to go in and products you can hold in your hand, but by and large, uh, you have to think of services much more broadly than the name implies or than we think of in the commercial marketplace where services tend to imply you know, restaurants and hotels. Um, that's not true for, for DOD or the rest of the federal government. So uh, tracking from a cybersecurity point of view, you really have to look at the end-to-end -end dynamics of all the transactions, all the vulnerabilities, all the touch points where, where a cyber uh, penetration or attack could occur. And there's even a bigger question that, uh, that comes up that nobody has a good answer to. How do you assure that the data you're using are accurate and haven't been compromised? Because uh, you know, a cyber could not only be an overt attack or a threat, it could be penetrating and, and adjusting your data. You look at an aircraft that lands on an aircraft carrier, right? Once the first thing that they do is the crew chief will plug his computer into the portals in the aircraft and it'll update all the settings for the electronic control devices and everything else that's managed through chips. Um, the chief has no way of knowing whether the data that's flowing from his computer, which has just arrived uh, on an internet over the, uh, over the waves uh, on his ship, on his aircraft carrier, he has no way of knowing whether that data is current, accurate, complete, or has been compromised in some way, shape, or form. The risk there is, is uh, modest in terms of, of frequency, but very dramatic in terms of potential impact. We've got very little protection and assessment against this in our open systems across DOD. Um, I want to uh, ask you a couple more uh, questions about that, but first a word from our sponsors. HII sponsored our coverage of the Navy League's Sea Airspace Conference and Trade Show, and Bell sponsored our coverage uh, at the Army Aviation Association of America's annual meeting. David, let me ask you about um, how you assess how we are doing from your uh, position in the world, from the services side of the industry. Um, how are your member companies doing uh, in terms of cyber investment, doing the blocking and tackling and stepping up their game, right? I mean, we saw uh, with uh, Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine, uh, U.S. leadership saying shields up, you know, everybody do more. There is evidence that the U.S. government is, is better defending forward. And I want to ask you about some surveys in a minute. Um, at, at the same time, um, companies have been stepping up their game, even if everybody acknowledges we're still not doing enough. How, how, how are, how's your membership doing against this? Is the needle moving in the right direction? And if you could possibly quantify it candidly, how much more work is there 
to be done, right? Are we 70% of the way there, 50% of the way there, 30% of the way there, 90? Where, where are we? So first of all, the member companies uh, of PSC are, are almost universally tackling this very seriously, both with their internal processes, procedures, their improvements, and with their interactions with their subcontractors uh, across the board. Um, I think there's a very broad recognition of the potential damage of the threat. Uh, you know, it doesn't take much uh, reading of the headlines to see that, that nobody is uh, is invulnerable, nobody's protected, and, and we've got to move forward there. And the requirements from the government, even those that aren't in place today, we know they're coming. Uh, we know what they're going to have to comply with. The NIST standards are very clear, and as they're evolving, uh, we get the opportunity to see them evolve. So I think the companies take it very seriously, and they're trying to be ahead of the game. Um, it's expensive. Uh, and for smaller companies, particularly, this is a big chunk of their discretionary revenue. Um, the question of who pays for this is frequently uh, raised. And by and large, um, you know, it, uh, you, you have to absorb the costs. It will end up affecting your rates. One of the very interesting dynamics here, Vago, is that many PSC member companies work for both defense uh, uh, agencies and entities and for civilian agencies. Um, the civilian agencies have no corresponding requirement for cybersecurity protection. And one of the challenges that a company may face is, if I'm protecting myself against the threat, if I'm doing what DOD currently requires me to do, or will in the future require me to do, will I put myself at a competitive cost disadvantage against companies bidding for civilian agency work that are not having to comply with the DOD requirements. Um, this is a very serious question. We haven't uh, don't have an assessment of how big that impact is yet. Um, but in, in fact, if complying with the cybersecurity requirements that ought to be in place across the federal government are, are uh, um, inhibiting companies from bidding and winning contractors, this has an impact on competition. It has an impact on performance. It has an impact on cost. It has an impact ultimately on security. Um, this is an unanswered question across the board. So across the rest of the federal government, uh, we saw some early indications that maybe one or more of those agencies might pick up something like CMMC, uh, but to date, there is no requirement for the civilian agencies. And then finally, the question is what percentage of way are there? There's no way I can answer that because the end goal, the denominator of calculating that percentage continues to change and increase. And so I think uh, we're, we're always going to be playing catch up. Um, we're never going to be all the way there. And it's a constant effort that's required. Um, is there any, um, you know, you, you mentioned uh, the need across government uh, to have some sort of cybersecurity standards. Um, is there any movement on that at all? Because it uh, makes an enormous amount of sense, uh, right? I mean, uh, Office of Personal Management was hacked and, and China got, has gotten a treasure trove uh, repeatedly, even, even the Russians uh, of data uh, out of the US government uh, that could be extremely problematic. From, from, from your perspective, what are the status of discussions to try to do this uh, government-wide? Because doing it makes sense, even if it's a monumentally you know, costly and complicated endeavor. We have these conversations regularly with a number of the key agencies, as well as with the, the White House, the Office of Government Policy, Office of Management Budget, and so on. And there's a keen awareness of the need to have something in place. Um, there's very little agreement 
on both what the overall principles should be and how they would apply. As you know, most civilian agencies have a federal acquisition regulation. I mean, the, the FAR covers everybody, uh, but many agencies have their own supplements to that, as does DOD through the DFARS and, and through the, the uh, agency and, and service uh, applications as well. So I think that, that there's plenty of discussions underway, but there have been no written proposals for such a rule that we have seen or been asked to comment on. I think it's it's really important, desperately needed, and should actually be a part of this. For DOD to take the responsibility to set the standard is not unusual, right? Because many of our reforms in acquisition, our improvements in acquisition, improvements at least from one perspective, not necessarily from everybody's, um, originate in DOD and then spread to the rest of the federal government. Uh, DOD, because DOD is its own customer for most of what it does, is a very good test bed for those kinds of things. So it's not bad for DOD to figure it out. But my goodness, it, waiting until March of 2023 before we have an interim rule does not help the rest of the federal government either. Uh, I uh, couldn't couldn't agree with uh, with you more, uh, and certainly um, hope that we do better uh, nationally uh, to try to uh, tackle. Uh, the challenge. Um, NordVPN, uh, uh, David, recently surveyed a thousand consumers and found 93% worry that a foreign government might wage cyber war against the United States. I mean, I would say it's a little little bit late uh, that some of these nations uh, like China and Russia have been waging cyber war uh, against the United States for, for more than a decade now. Um, and only 19% are convinced that the government uh, can uh, uh, you know, adequately defend the nation against cyber threats. I think that that's extraordinary given how well um, the U.S. Cyber Command, National Security Agency, Federal Bureau of Investigations are doing, you know, cleansing Russian malware from systems worldwide, you know, blunting uh, some some Russian uh, cyber uh, operations. I guess it's a two part question. First, is there a way to sort of harness this concern to drive better security faster? Um, I mean, are you are you sensing that in any of your conversations that there's an oh crap element to this that might be driving progress faster? Uh, actually, uh, Vago, I take heart from both of those numbers that you cited there. Uh, and, and I think that in answer to your question, let me respond as to why I take some, some uh, positive from that. First of all, the 93% that do expect an intrusion, that's a huge improvement and increase. I've been involved in a number of tabletop exercises with uh, private sector companies and, and their leaders in the room. And you know, as recent as a couple of years ago, I had CEOs of, of well-known major US brands who were saying, why do I care if China's sitting inside my network? Um, well, you and I would automatically say, I can think of a dozen reasons why you should care and why you should not want that. Um, but the fact that they weren't thinking that way was a big negative. The 93% is not enough. I would actually like that number to be 99.9% .9 or even 100. Um, but I think it's a huge improvement because it, it indicates an awareness of the danger uh, that has to come before any actions are going to be taken to mitigate or guard against it. Um, and, and I actually take heart from the fact that only 19% think the government can protect them because the reality here is the government alone is never gonna be able to protect people. They've gotta take responsibility for protecting themselves. So until and unless you recognize that I can't count on the government to save me, the government can do a lot. The government can create the standards, the government can convey me the information, the government can put the tests in place, uh, the government can protect its own, but the government can't protect all of America, every computer, every laptop, every uh, internet connected item in your house here. That's gonna to have to be done by individuals and entities across the board. So I really take heart that people think it's not only the government's job, it's their own job as well. Um, however, what that means is 
we have to have policies and procedures at the federal level that build on those two, that build on the recognition that the threat is there and is pervasive and is permanent, and that build on the recognition that the government alone is not enough, but the government has the critical and essential roles to play here. Those are missing from, uh, from across the board, although we're starting to see it in some of the things that CISA does, right? What's critical infrastructure? Well, it's, it's only a handful of things until it's something not on that list that gets hit and we discover it really matters, as we did a year ago with pipelines. Uh, absolutely. You know, you, you mentioned tabletop exercises and uh, this, uh, I think it's June or July, uh, DOD is going to be holding uh, CMMC tabletop exercises before it rolls out uh, the, the, the new rule. How important are tabletop exercises like this? Uh, because we have, we have a tendency of thinking about them as, as war games uh, for military systems, but sometimes not as much on the cyber side of things. From, from your standpoint, why are they valuable uh, and how can they be improved, right? I mean, you've been through one of one or two of those, David, over the decades. Uh, that, so they are extremely valuable. In fact, the original CMMC requirements, 1.0, went through a series of iterations. It was 0 0.4, 0 0.5, 0 0.6, 0 0.7. Those are the ones that we saw and were able to participate and comment on uh, from PSC's point of view uh, as, as DOD was evolving them. Um, but in parallel with that, there were a number of activities underway where companies were involved, only a handful of companies, and it tended to be the larger uh, defense prime contractors, again, focusing on protecting tech data, not necessarily on the universe of operational data and, and systems data that interact with the global commercial marketplace. Um, so I think that the exercises are really valuable. I did not see any indication in the comments made by DOD that they intended to evolve, involve anyone other than DOD personnel in those uh, CMMC tabletop exercises that are gonna be undertaken uh, later this spring or early in the summer. I would certainly encourage them to make sure that they had uh, companies and, and maybe the associations representing some of those companies involved in that. I would further recommend, obviously, they expand it beyond just protecting tech data packages into the broader arena of protecting all systems and all data. Uh, those would be key elements. I think, to improve that process. David, honor and pleasure having you on the program. Thanks so very much for joining us and already looking forward to having you back on and just letting the audience know that David will join us in a couple of weeks uh, to uh, discuss uh, major uh, industrial base uh, challenges from inflation to workforce. You and Ellen Lord uh, testified last week before the Senate Armed Services Committee and it was a fascinating uh, discussion that I'd like to have a deeper airing of. Thanks so very much, David. You're welcome, Vago, and thank you for having me on and thank you for tackling these tough issues.